right, church. Please have a seat. Hey, so good to see everybody today. And um, thank you, worship team. What a treat. What a delight to be able to worship with everybody and for you to lead us into worship. And it's always a special treat when Roland breaks out the falsetto. Voice of an angel, I'm telling you, right? So, hey, that's awesome, too. Um, but I, hopefully, you know, when uh, Roland would say, when we sing, um, it connects to our heart, right? Like, we, 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 we get connected to the fact that we, it's, it's more than words. It's, it's that we have this relationship with the Lord, and, and the Lord loves us and, and wants to walk with us. And, and hopefully, we want to walk with Him. And there's a power in singing. And hopefully, as we move into the Word, um, that same power remains. There is a power in just digging into the Word of the Lord, that the Lord, we read in the biblical text that, you know, God speaks to us through the Word, you know, and, and that um, he connects with us. By the power of his spirit, he connects with us to the word. So hopefully as we engage in, in the word, our hearts might join with the Lord there as well, that the Holy Spirit might speak to us. But, you know, um, we're continuing our sermon series on Luke. Right? There it is right there. And as you can see, we're calling this sermon series a call to follow. A call to follow. And we're calling this sermon series a call to follow because Luke, the gospel of Luke, in its entirety, it gives us this powerful picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And did you know, church family, that in Luke, one of the most prominent subjects that Jesus teaches about, perhaps more than any other subject in the gospel of Luke, is the topic of money. More than any other subject, maybe even more than himself, Jesus teaches about money and possessions in Luke. And so in Luke, we get this very strong connection that growing as a follower of Jesus will directly impact. It will directly challenge how we spend, how we save, how we give, how we accumulate. And the passage that we're going to look at today um, is going to explore this connection of discipleship and wealth and it's specifically, it's specifically going to look at the topic of greed. Topic of greed. Now, before we get into this passage, before we look at this passage, before I read this passage, let me make a caveat. And the caveat is, I do not want your money. All right? The church does not want your money. You know, there's all sorts of things that can cause us to tune out of a talk like this, right? From questioning the motivation of the speaker to just not thinking a top, the topic of greed applies to you. And you know, church, I think the truth is, I think that we can easily be blind to our own greed. You know, and what I mean is, um, everybody sitting in this room today probably can see that there is greed in the world. We can probably see that there is greed going on around us, and we can even see um, where greed is causing breakdown and, um, you know, all that selfishness is causing, like, issues within the world. And we could probably even think of other people, maybe even in the room, that can benefit from a talk about greed. But what I have found is that very few people think that they personally struggle with greed. Very few people think that greed is an issue that affects them, even when it might be. And so as we turn to this passage that we're looking at today, my prayer, my personal prayer is we don't find a reason to just tune out the message right away, to tune out the scripture right away. 
But we as a community, we try to sit in these words of Christ, that we reflect together on them, that we pray, we ask the Spirit to really directly speak to us through them. So our passage today is Luke chapter 12, and before we get into the passage, we're going to pray that prayer. So why don't you pray with me um, right now? So Heavenly Lord and Gracious Father, you know that um, your word says it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, that you are a double-edged sword. Um, and I just pray that, you know, as we get into your word today, um, that it can be like a scalpel to us, that it can bring healing to us where we need healing, um, that even though it may be painful, that it might convict us, um, and that we, by the power of the Spirit, uh, might open ourselves up to the hearing of this word, um, that um, you can speak to each and every single one of us um, individually, but also corporately through this word. And so, Lord, I just pray that, you know, as we chew through it and we wrestle with it, we um, externalize less and think of, oh, Mary could really benefit from this talk, or John could really benefit from this talk, or whoever can really, or the person beside me could really benefit from this talk. Um, but we turn insides and think, Lord, where do I need to hear this? Um, where in my life do, am I being challenged by your spirit um, to live this out or being convicted to think through some of this stuff? And so I just pray in the midst of that, Lord, you have mercy on me, that you be gracious with me as I bring the word, and that you be merc merciful and gracious to us as we receive it. All of these things we pray in your son's most holy and precious name. Amen. All right, so having said all of those things, our passage today is Luke chapter 12. It starts in verse 13, and we're going to go all the way to 34. It's a little meaty. There's a, there's a lot of verses in the text we're looking at today, but it's all interconnected. And hopefully even as I begin to read it, you can um, be able to see some of that, those interconnections, right? And so it starts like this. I'll read it out for us, but it's going to be up there, and you can follow along in your, in your Bibles if you have them. And uh, starting at verse 13, it reads like this. So someone in the crowd said to him, him being Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. And another translation for this is all greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink. Be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the, only one, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And then it goes on. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? 
Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Finally, he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, fantastic. And so through this scripture, we're going to go to three different places today. We're going to talk about greed. We're going to talk about worry. And finally, we're going to land. We're going to talk about generosity. And we'll spend a little bit more time on greed and worry, but we'll land well on generosity. So first, let's get to greed. You know, uh, one of the reasons I think we could easily be blind to our own greed is because in many ways it's quite normalized in the world that we find ourselves in, is it not? We are surrounded by ads that are constantly telling us to buy more and more and more and more. And wealth and excess is often celebrated and glamorized in our music and our media. And this is everywhere. Like Jesus says in verse 30 of our passage, all of the nations seek after these things. Every nation, every culture is caught up in greed in some way or another. For example, my personal background, I'm Chinese um, by birth, and um, Chinese-Canadian. And you know, every Chinese New Year, one of the long-standing traditions of the people of China is to make dumplings and eat them while we wish for wealth, because dumplings look like ancient gold pieces. It's a true story. And one of the ways that we'd wish each other a happy Chinese New Year is to say gong hei fa choi, which a phrase in which comedian Ronnie Chang roughly translates as, I hope you get rich. A rough translation, but an accurate translation. You know, church, greed, that desire for more can just kind of be in the water that we swim in. And so I think it's easy that we can get dragged along in its current, whether we have a little or a lot. It's easy to want just a little bit more. And I think that's why it's very wise when Jesus tells us in verse 15 of our passage to be on our guard against all kinds of covetousness or be on our guard against all kinds of greed. And I think for us, for those of us who are living in Canada, this country with all of this wealth and all of this social support, part of what that means is to be suspicious of the wealth that we have. To constantly ask questions like, do I really need this? Or can I live more simply? Or to channel our inner Mary Kondo and ask, does this spark joy in my life? Or in other words, can I live without this? 
But here Jesus is saying, be on guard against all kinds of greed. And then in this parable, he tells us, he tells us this parable that covers two very different kinds of greed. Now, the first kind of greed that we see in this parable that Jesus teaches is um, a greed that sees money as a kind of protection from the challenges of life. It's accumulating wealth and stuff out of a desire for control. It's accumulating wealth and stuff out of a desire for security. And church, if your heart is captured by that kind of greed today, you're going to do what the man in the parable did. You're going to save. You're going to amass. You're going to accumulate. Instead of giving things away, you're going to look for extra storage. And you know, church, I get it. Right? The world, it can feel so very unpredictable. Life can seem so harsh. And we all want to be able to have a little bit more control in the midst of it all. But here's the thing about control that I think this parable illustrates so very well. And that is that we have a lot less control than we think we have. You know, recently I have heard this paper cited that the average Western person has about 15% of the control they think they do. Let me say that again. The average Western person has about 15% of the control that they think they have. And you know, honestly, I think one of the reasons why anxiety and worry has grown so prevalent in our culture, so prevalent in our day and age, is because we're constantly told that we can control it all. We constantly feel that we can control it all, and so we save, and we accumulate, and we struggle, and we stress for more control when the reality of things is, at the most, we've maybe added a percentage point or two to our 15%. And so, but church, one kind of greed can lead us to turn to our things, turn to accumulate wealth and things for the sake of control and for the sake of security. And the second kind of greed that we see in this parable is accumulating wealth and stuff for the sake of joy. Accumulating wealth and stuff for the sake of contentment. It's constantly accumulating so you can eat and drink and be merry like the man in our parable. And church, if your heart is captured by that greed, instead of saving for yourself and amassing for yourself, what are you going to do? You're going to spend on yourself. Right? You're going to buy nice meals. You're going to buy new experiences. You're going to buy nice clothes. You're going to buy a bigger TV with higher resolution. That's HD, HD, HHD. You know what I'm saying? But the thing is, if you ever feel like you're not keeping up with the people around you, it can make you anxious, can't it? It can make you start to worry. It can make you feel like you have to keep up. And, you know, I love what the entrepreneur Derek Sivers says about this kind of greed, this kind of collection of things in hopes that it makes us happy somehow. When asked when, what kind of message he would put on a billboard for everyone to see, he said that he would put the billboard by a big shopping mall or by a car dealer, and the billboard would say, it won't make you happy. It won't make you happy. And, you know, that's true, isn't it? That dopamine rush, that euphoria that comes from retail therapy is a fleeting one. 
And so not only does Jesus say, be on the lookout for all of these different types of greed, but through this parable, Jesus is saying all of these kinds of greed are foolish. Because whether our greed comes up from a desire to control or for happiness or for status or for acceptance or for whatever it is, in the end, our money and our things will fail us. Our money and our things will lead us into worry. And they're temporary. Our money and our things will not be in our lives forever. They are like grass. They are here today and they are gone tomorrow. And so Jesus is saying, why spend so much time seeking after them? And I think this really helps us understand Jesus' attitude to this man in this crowd that comes to him, right? And this man, he goes to Jesus and he asks Jesus to tell his brother to divide the inheritance, And you know, in the ancient Near East, rabbis, they would help arbitrate um, things like this, uh, like um, disputes between families and whatnot. But here in our passage, Jesus flat out refuses to arbitrate. And I think it's because for Jesus, there is something so much more important than money and things worth spending time on. Something so much more important than money and things worth spending his energy on or focusing on and seeking after. And so that's why we read in verse 22, Jesus tells us to just stop worrying. He says, stop worrying about all of this material stuff. And then verse 25, Jesus goes on to say, worrying cannot add a single hour to your life. In fact, now there's all this research out there that tells us that our worry and our anxiety can actually make us sick. That our worry and our anxiety can actually take hours off our lives. And so Jesus says, Let's not worry about that. And the pathway, because Jesus does give us a pathway in this text, the pathway that Jesus gives us to reduce our anxiety, to reduce our worry over our material well-being, is to consider. Right? He says consider. And basically Jesus is saying consider the goodness of God. In times of stress, in times of worry, to consider, to think about, to reflect on God's care for us that he loves us, that he values us so much more than birds that he provides for or the flowers that he clothes. And so part of what Jesus is saying in this passage is your security or your joy or whatever it is, is not in how much you own and it is not in how much you have, but your security and your joy and your whatever it is, is in who you are. No. In this passage, Jesus is reminding us that we have a God who is in full control and a God who is for our joy. And you know, church, I love the practicality of this passage because you can't just turn worry on and off like a light, right? That's just not how it works. You can't just stop. You know, our worry and our anxiety can often bubble up in us randomly and it can often overwhelm us. But in the midst of it all, Jesus is telling us to preach to our anxious hearts. Right? He's telling us in the midst of our worry, when the worry comes, to consider, to reflect, to remind ourselves that God is good, that God cares for us, that we are valuable to him. You know, church, if this material world, this cold and uncaring material world is all that there is, or if God was as unreliable and as capricious as the gods in the ancient world, it totally makes sense to accumulate. 
right? If the material world is all there is, or God is like as capricious and unreliable as a God of the ancient world, it totally makes sense to worry and fixate on our things and try and carve out like some security for ourselves. But you know, the God of the Bible is not like that at all. And we read in verse 32 of our passage, it's like he is a father to us. Jesus describes him as like a father. And that his good pleasure, that his delight is to give us the kingdom. You know, church, one of the big themes in the gospel of Luke is this thing called the kingdom of heaven. That Jesus has come to establish this eternal kingdom of true security, of true joy, of true shalom, of true lasting peace. And the passage says that God's delight is to give you this kingdom. And that's why Jesus willingly submitted to the will of the Father. That's why he came. That's why he took on flesh and he lived the life that you could not live. He died the death that you deserved all so that you could receive the gift of this kingdom. On the cross, Jesus became poor, right? Jesus gave everything up so that you could be rich towards God, so that you could have this life abundant with him. And church, I think that means that we can experience the depth of the kingdom. We can have this kingdom life today because at the heart of the kingdom, at the center of the kingdom of heaven is a king who loves and cares for us. At the center of the kingdom is a king who we can be in relationship with today. Because see, the, the, church, the minute you become a Christian, you are rich towards God. Do you know that? The minute you become a Christian, you are rich to God through the work of Jesus Christ, right? We, have, we immediately have this direct access to this deep life with the Father. And sadly, I think the truth is our greed and our idolatry of stuff or our constant desire for more can actually draw us away from this deep, rich life. It could draw us away from knowing him. It could draw us away from delighting in him. It could draw us away from resting in him. And so I can't help but feel that part of what Jesus is saying in verse 31 when he says, seek his kingdom and all of these things will be added to you, that part of Jesus, what Jesus is saying when he says that is he's saying stuff like, stop worrying about all those reviews on Yelp. Stop worrying about all those reviews on Amazon and whether they have four or five stars, but seek after God by going to the Bible and meeting with him in his word. And part of what Jesus is saying is stop trying to plan and control and to stress and protect yourself from all of the unknowns, but seek God out by meeting with him in prayer, by going to him, by receiving strength from him, by, by spending time with him in solitude. I think part of what Jesus is saying is he's saying stop trying to accumulate and establish a, a kingdom for yourself that is just crumbling and fading away, but seek God out by being faithful to him and his eternal everlasting kingdom. And the promise that we get in this passage is that when we seek after God and his kingdom, when we put him first, not only will we have him, which is so good enough, but we will also find that he has us. And he is taking care of all of the things that stir our hearts to worry. And I think one of the ways that Jesus tells us to seek after God and seek after his kingdom 
is to do what Jesus tells his disciples to do in our passage. And he tells his disciples to give their things away, right? He's basically telling his disciples to practice radical generosity. And that's the last thing we're talking about today, generosity. We talked about our greed. We talked about our worry. We're talking about generosity. And, you know, church, I say practicing radical generosity or practicing generosity, I, I say that very intentionally because generosity is something that we need to practice at, isn't it? Generosity is something that we need to train at. Generosity is something that we need to work on. Practicing generosity is about growing and strengthening our muscles of generosity by giving until it hurts a little bit, by giving until we feel a bit of a strain, by having a cross kind of attached to our giving so that we can increase our capacity to give more. Because you know, growing in generosity is one of the ways that we can tell that we are growing in the ways of the kingdom. You know, church, the kingdom of heaven is all about giving. And that's because its king is all about giving. You know, God... When I read the biblical text, I'm always, like, fascinated by the very few pages because I always think God did not have to create anything. God did not have to create anything. In the beginning, God the Father was in this perfect triune relationship with God the Son and God the Spirit, and they existed in this rich and full life-giving relationship together. It was good. It was already so very good. God did not have to make anything, but then God made the world and everything in it as this beautiful gift. And then when sin crept into creation and twisted death and brokenness into it all, God did not have to do anything about it. But then God gave us his son and Jesus came down to earth and he gave us his life. And then God gave us the gift of his spirit so that we could begin to experience that rich and that full and that life-giving relationship with the triune God today. God is a God who gives. And you know what the scriptures say, church? The scriptures say that you were made in the image of God. You were made in the image of God. And if that's the case, giving is not only how we were made, but giving is in our very nature. And so the Christian life is about becoming more of the people that we were created to be. It's about walking with Christ. It's about being with Christ. So by the power of the Spirit, we can begin to grow in the character of Christ, our radically generous King. The kingdom of heaven is about radical self-giving from its King all the way on down. But you know what greed does? It turns our focus and it turns our thoughts and it turns our attention back in ourselves. It turns our focus on what we need, what we want, or what's missing from our lives, or what's missing from our kitchen, or what's missing from our garage, or what's missing from our savings account, or what we don't have enough of. And that's why I think it's no co coincidence that as the man in our parable is just caught up in all of this greed, all he thinks about is himself, right? I will do this, and I will tear down, and I will store up. I, I, I. And church, maybe that's one of the reasons our greed can be so hidden from us, because it makes us myopic, because it tunnels our vision, 
because it tunnels our focus onto how we can get more or how we can have more or how we don't have enough. But practicing generosity by growing a heart of giving, it breaks the spell, see? It starts to shift our focus back on Christ and shift our focus back on the kingdom and living in the kingdom and back on gratitude. It reminds us that God is our treasure and not our stuff. It helps us to become more like the people that we were created to be. And so part of combating our greed is seeking the kingdom. Uh, and, it's, and it's about being on guard against our accumulation in wealth. It's about preaching to our hearts in the midst of our worries and our anxieties and reminding ourselves that we are loved by a good and generous God. And so much of it is about growing this heart of Christ, growing this heart of generosity. And this is not as a way to be worthy or not as a way to be accepted or not as a way to grow in our favor with God. No, through Christ, you already have God's favor. Through Christ, you are already rich. Like it says in verse 37, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's a gift. It's not something that we earn. But no, we practice generosity in order to free ourselves from blind, our blinding greed. We practice generosity in order to let go of all the things we think we need or all the things we think we can't live, a, uh, live without so that we could freely receive the true treasure that God wants to give us. We practice generosity so that we can move from this life of scarcity and anxiety and worry to this rich and full, abundant life with God and walking with him. And so, church, this week, in this week to come, I pray that we might seek after God and seek after his kingdom first, that we might pursue a life with him, that we might practice generosity, that we might serve him and see him as our treasure. Because as we do, I think that more and more we will find that surely we are richer and we are safer and we are more secure and more loved in him than we could ever imagine. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Lord and gracious Father, we thank you that you are a generous God, that you give and you give and you give and you pour into us and you fill us up. And Lord, help us to see that we are filled in order to spill, that you have given us enough so that we could give to others, so that we can um, share what you have given us with others. And Lord, I just acknowledge that there's some of us in this room um, who maybe are struggling with this message because they're like, man, I am in crippling debt. I, you know, have, can barely make ends meet myself. I'm short on a meal. I, I you know, I'm, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty and what can I give? And Lord, in the midst of that, I am thankful that you give us a community. In the passage, you, we're called a little flock. That we are to, to give and love and to feed and support and care for one another. So Lord, in the midst of this message, I just pray that you help us to see our neighbor. Help us to see those who we are sitting beside and those who are, we are living beside. And Lord, I pray that by the power of the Spirit, you show us where the need is so that we might be your hands and feet to the world. And Lord, I just pray that in the midst of all that, 
that as we turn to you and as we and as we seek you out, that yeah, we can trust you to fill us up. You know, Roland asked earlier, who believes here that God loves them? And Lord, I think that's one of the hardest things to really believe, to have faith in that you love us. So Lord, by the power of your spirit, maybe that's where it begins, that you might show us that you love us, that you care for us, so that we can be released to care for others. All of these things, we pray in your son's most holy and precious name. Amen.